All right, speaking of the word, if you got a Bible with you, you can open up the word to John chapter eight, and I make this motion if you have a Bible. If not, then you can make this motion, all right? And uh, open up your phone if you don't have the Bible app. Uh, you can get that. Uh, ironically, again, today, the verse of the day in the Bible app comes out of 1 John, which same author, but very, very similar text to what I'm talking about today. And as we say often, it's almost like there's a God. Almost. Almost like he's working. And if you just pay attention, then you can see it. And John chapter 8 is where we're going to be today. We're going to start in verse 31, work our way down to verse 47. And the, uh, another set of verses that you may be familiar with, it's a, a rather famous verse. In fact, I reference it often, but we're going to dig into it as always to maybe see something that we didn't see before or understand it in a different way before. But the real goal is not for us just to see it and understand it, but for us to live it, for us to literally make the word of God alive and active in our lives. And there's a huge promise to that, as you're going to see, if we will actually do that. So let's go John chapter 8, starting in verse 31 and 32. It says this, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And here's the section that a lot of people know. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you what? That's, that's good. If you're new, I'd like for you to call and respond when I ask you to, all right? The truth will set you what? Free. Free. So let's stop and chat about that. Now, remember context. We just had the verses on the screen. If you just logged on, you might have missed that. But the verses on the screen is what we looked through last week, and we ended in verse 30 when it said, many of the Jewish people believed in him. Now, that context is important because now in verse 31, it says, Jesus turns and talks to those Jewish people that believed in him. And the reason is, is because Jesus wants to make sure that they really understand what it means to believe in him, that they really, really understand. And what's going to be interesting is Jesus, as we go through this section, is going to talk almost in such a way where it looks like they don't believe in him. And that's a wrestle that a lot of us have because there's so many times when people will make a decision and they say they believe Jesus, but then their life doesn't reflect it. And then we kind of step back and say, well, did they lose their faith? Which we know you can't lose your faith because you can't lose something that you didn't find. You can't lose something that you didn't earn. However, there are Tons of examples in the Bible and tons of examples in life of people who believed, but they didn't believe correctly. Or a better way to say it is they didn't believe fully. They came to Jesus on their terms, not on his terms. They, 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 they like the idea, and I don't know who coined this phrase, but we came up with it with the last century, and I would honestly like to remove it from Christendom, but the idea of get out of hell free card. Right? And obviously it came from the Monopoly game. It's like, get out of jail free, right? And so this idea, and partly because of the preaching that occurred, everybody's like, do you want to go to a burning hell forever or heaven where angels are floating? We're like, well, I'll take that one. Who wouldn't? Unless you're insane. But the idea was, oh, I can just make that decision and my eternal destiny has changed, but I don't have to change how I live now. Well, that option was never offered to you. 
That is not a biblical option. So there's a lot of people who heard that kind of preaching that were like, well, yeah, I'll change my eternal destination, but my daily life? No, I'm not changing that. Well, then your eternal destination is not really changed. You see what I'm getting at? So Jesus, he's a good shepherd, as we're gonna see in chapter 10. He's a good shepherd, and he wants to make sure that those who believe actually believe fully, that they understand what it is, who it is, they believe in. So Jesus turns to them and says, listen, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. Then he says, and the truth, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now I have said from this stage many times, and it's a true statement, but it's not the complete statement, that if there's some areas in your life that you're not free, then there's some truth you don't know. In one sense, Jesus is connecting truth to freedom. You need to understand that. We talk a lot about truth around here, especially in 21st century world where people think truth is created, not discovered. That's why I say often, please don't say the words, my truth, your truth, our truth, it's the truth. So truth is connected to freedom. So the opposite of that is also true. Lies are connected to slavery, which is why I told you over the last several weeks, lying to someone is not loving them. Loving someone is telling them the truth. Now, we don't want to beat them over the head with the truth. We don't want to condemn. We talked about that a few weeks ago as well. So Jesus is connecting truth to freedom. So that is true. But there's something fuller that he's connecting. And what I mean by that is this. When he's talking about truth, he is saying, listen, it's not just something that's an intellectual thing. It's not just something that you know. It's not just something that you make a mental assent to. It is something that you practice in your life. It is something that you live. So the fuller statement Jesus says First and foremost is he says, if you abide in my word. Now, at the beginning of the year, we always do a 21-day fast. We call it abide, where you have the opportunity to abide, to start the year off right by abiding in Jesus' words. Fasting from food and feasting on the word of God. We've been doing that for years. We'll do it again in 2022. And I've made the point this, this year that we had 21 days and there's 21 chapters in the gospel according to John. And, and so I really challenge people, read through the gospel of John. What greater thing to do in those 21 days than to read through the gospel of John, which I'll encourage you next year as well, to get the word of God in you. Why? Because the word of God in you, watch this, is deeper than just something that you know intellectually. And there's a lot of people, again, who made an intellectual decision. They looked at eternity, hot and smoking or smoke-free, right? They chose a smoke-free option. They made an intellectual decision, but it didn't show up in their life. They weren't abiding in the truth. And here's something that I've come to know about myself, and, and I think I can, re I've been around enough humans in my life, I think I can reasonably say this is a human problem, it's not just a Jason problem. The problem so often is not that I don't know something. The problem more often than not 
is I don't do what I know. Have you found that to be true in your life? I know Bluebell ice cream is not on the weight loss plan. I know that. I know that Halloween comes every year. And it is probably not a healthy thing to send my children out to collect candy for me. That's why I can get behind Halloween. Free candy from all the neighbors? Yes. You go get all the candy, then come back and tell me what you don't like. My daughter doesn't like Snickers. She doesn't like the Lord's M&Ms, which are peanut M&Ms. You know, there's different ones that they don't like. I'm like, yes, bring it on home to dad. And then even the ones they do like, when they're gone, I'll go eat it. Don't tell them, all right? Don't tell them. Don't tell them. That's our, that's our secret. I know that. I know that. But I don't do what I know. See, that is the emphasis Jesus is making here. If you remain, that's the word, abide. If you hang out in, if you live what the word is, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So watch this, the lack of freedom in our life Yes, it's connected to truth, and we do need to know that, but knowing it, what that really means is living it. That's what it means. So here's where Jesus is. Remember, these people just believed him, and he's saying to them, listen, if you abide in me, if you hang out in my words, then you're truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now you would think that right at that point in time, the disciples would be like, yes, sir, Lord, you are God. You are our savior. I'm not going to argue with you, but is that what we did with our parents? No. So have a little grace when your kids don't do that with you either. Because when they talk back to you, just remind yourself of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit hasn't already. They got that from you. We don't naturally want to submit our life to God. We don't naturally want to come underneath his mentoring, his discipling of us and truly be his disciples. We don't really want to live what we know to be true that he's saying. And neither did they. Watch this. They answered him. We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone how is it that you say you will become free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now let's talk context because if you know the history of the Jewish people, they're not talking here about physical slavery because they would be a complete, you know, ignorant person of history. When they say we've never been slaves to anyone, we know that's not true in a physical sense because they were slaves for 400 years, longer than our country has been officially in existence. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. So obviously, they're not talking about physical slavery. 
They're talking about, in a sense, spiritual slavery, which is why Jesus says what he says. And and, and here's the best way I think I can explain what they're trying to get at, because they're going to talk in just a second about how they're children of Abraham. So therefore, they're not really slaves. How, How could they be? Abraham's their father. The best way to think about this, and I know this is going to be a stretch for you, but think of a powerful person, maybe a politician, whose children get away with crimes. That's hard to do, right? I mean, that's a stretch. I, I know you're like, I've never seen that in my lifetime. And whatever politician you're thinking of, just imagine they're probably on the other side of how you think what's happened on your side too. All sides. And the idea of it here is, well, my daddy, my mama, they're important, they're powerful, so therefore, I can kind of live, uh, I can kind of live above the law because there's not really gonna be consequences for me like there is for all you normal folk, for all you peasants out there, Right? And we see this, again, that's why I was joking. Of course we can imagine this. This is everyday life. Well, that's the best example I can try to give you of the mindset that the Jewish people had. They were like, listen, yeah, I mean, I know God has punished us and we had to leave Israel and all that kind of stuff, but we stand in a privileged position. We never been enslaved to anyone. And this is right when Jesus takes it deeper, as he always does. And he says, well, you misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not talking about being enslaved to anyone in just a human sense or even in a spiritual sense. I'm talking about being enslaved to anything. And then he says this statement, whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. Whoever practices it. And this word practice doesn't mean like it's just something you do occasionally. It means kind of the, just your lifestyle. Whoever lives a lifestyle of sin is a slave to sin. And this is where we really got to talk. Because sin is so deceptive in our lives, it will make us think that the problem is not that bad. Because after all, right, we are fundamentally good people who occasionally make bad decisions, right? I mean, I'm a good person, which is always amazing to me because we always compare ourselves to the worst in history. I mean, I'm no Hitler. Well, God, I hope not. I mean, I'm no, I'm no, I'm not a, I'm not a, I don't know why we do that. I'm not an ax murderer. As if that's the standard, right? No, we don't compare ourselves to the worst of us. We are to compare ourselves to the best of us, which is Jesus. Anybody want to take that one? Well, no, I'm not Jesus. Well, newsflash, that's the standard. That's the standard. So what sin, the devil, our flesh, the world system tries to tell us 
Well, it's not that bad. And it goes even further. It says, well, but this is how you feel. This is what's natural to you. And if it's natural to you and God made you that way, well, then it's not sin. So there's a lot today of I feel instead of a lot of he says. You with me? That mentality leads to slavery. And if you don't understand the depth of the problem, then you will never fully appreciate the gloriousness of the solution. In fact, let me give you another point. You might want to write it down. If we don't understand the severity of the slavery, then we will never understand the fullness of the freedom. If we don't first understand the severity of the slavery, how deep it really goes, then we will never fully understand, nor appreciate, nor live in the fullness of the freedom. Now, when the Bible talks about slavery, and I said this often, you need to understand there's different types. Obviously, we in this country have an unfortunate history, an ungodly, demonic history with human slavery, which, biblically speaking, the best way to compare that is what Israel went through in Egypt. That was forced human slavery. And there were Christians, unfortunately, in this country who used New Testament verses to talk about slaves as if that justified the African uh, slave trade. Horribly wrong. Because the understanding of that term in the Bible has nothing to do with that type of slavery. It was more like bankruptcy laws. If you couldn't pay back your debt, you had to work to pay it off. And even that, the Bible gave a time limit for. Even that, it wasn't forever a, like a slavery. It was more like indentured servitude for a period of time. And unfortunately, Christians use verses in the Bible to justify ungodly actions. Christians do this all the time. But thank God, it was also Christians who spoke up and said, no, that's wicked, wrong, and evil, and we should stop it. So yes, we, as Christians, we have to own our sins, but thank God he also rose up Christians who said, no, that is not what the Bible was talking about, and that's wrong, and they put an end to it. We fought, obviously, in this country, huge wars over that. But here's why I bring that up. One is to help you understand, but two... If you didn't understand the severity of that slavery, how horrendous it was, then you couldn't fully understand what it meant to be free. If you had never experienced it yourself. And I'm using that as an example based upon the word to say if that was that wrong and that wicked, and it was. I can't imagine how liberating it must have felt for our African-American brothers and sisters to be liberated from a slavery that was wicked and evil. As bad as that was, it still doesn't compare to eternal suffering. See, we as Christians care about all suffering in the world, which is why we as a church have partnered with an organization to help end human slavery in our world, because it's still going on. 
We should care about that. But we care the most, not just about human suffering, temporal suffering, but eternal suffering. And what Jesus is describing here is you understand the horrors of slavery now. If that is bad, how much worse is it eternally? And here's why I'm stressing this, because we as followers of Jesus will never fully trust him and abide in his words if we don't understand the alternative. If we don't understand that if I don't go with Jesus and how he says to do relationships, how he says to do money, how he says to do marriage, how he says to live my life, if I don't live in his word, if I don't remain in it, then I won't experience the fullness of the freedom. And the reason why I won't is because I won't think not following him is that bad. You with me here? The, what I'm trying to say. You're like, well, yeah, I mean, I know Jesus offers me an abundant life, but this life without him ain't that bad. And this is when, and, and I want to, people are like, well, sinning's just not that fun. If that, were, if that was you, I would say, well, you were doing it wrong. <laughs> sinning is fun for a moment. In the same way that a fish eating a worm was fun for a moment until they got hooked. No longer fun. That's what happens with us. We're swimming upstream. Oh, look, a worm. That's fun. That ain't fun. And here's what I'm trying to get across to you. You are not fundamentally a good person who makes occasional bad choices. You are fundamentally a wicked, sinful, evil person who might occasionally make good choices, but even those have altruistic motives, which is why you post what you do on Instagram so other people can be like, oh, you're so nice. <laughs> Look at her. You want the applause, which Jesus says, then you got your reward. You see what I'm getting at? See, if you don't understand, if we don't understand how much of a slave we really are, then we will never fully abide in Jesus and his words. Here's what I'm saying to you. You should never trust your own emotion. They're real, but they're not always right. You should always bring your feelings to the word of God. You should always, this is why you should know the Psalms because almost every human emotion is expressed in the Psalms. A third of the Psalms are David wanting to kill his enemies, but he brought that to the Lord and it died there. He didn't actually go do it. You read some of the Psalms, you're like, David was a wacko. Yeah, well, do you want all your prayers written down for everybody to see too? But David took it to the Lord. And it, it stayed there. He didn't post it on Facebook. He didn't let the world know. You know how many times I have wanted to, to say something on Instagram where, or, or you know, whatever, um, and, and I'll be like, it's my way of kind of like subtly taking a dig at everybody. And then I thought, well, if I do this, I'm just as bad as them. 
because now I'm acting in a self-righteous way. Dadgummit, so I just put it down. Don't say anything. Here's what I'm saying. You better come, we better become keenly aware of how much of a slave we really are and quit trusting our own feelings and emotions and abide in Jesus' word. Because listen, your freedom is not connected to your feelings. It's connected to his word. That's where your freedom is. But you'll never fully understand that if you don't understand how much of a slave you really are. Verse 35, it says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free. What's that next word there? Let's try that again. You'll be free what? Indeed, that means truly. You'll be truly free. He says, I know that you're the offspring of Abraham. I don't think I know that. Yet you seek to kill me. Watch this, because my word finds no place in you. Literally, no place in you means my word doesn't find a home in you. It shows up and you kick it out like it's a guest. It shows up or like a stranger. You don't live here. See, what the word of God is gonna do, it's gonna come into your house and rearrange some stuff. It's gonna come in and be like, this isn't feng shui. What's the word now? Like condo that junk, right? Like we gotta get rid of this. We gotta get rid of that. We gotta get rid of this. And you're like, well, that's my favorite pet sin. Well, that's, that's what I go to when I'm angry. You know, that's my boy, Ben and Jerry. Right? And the word of God's like, we gotta kick that to the curb. Trash is coming on Tuesday. And Jesus is saying, it, it finds no home in you. Here's what I love about this word too. It literally means, in a sense, to progress, to develop in a positive way. So what Jesus is saying is my word, it's, it works, it's just not working in you. It's not working in you. See, the Bible says about the word of God, it's sharper than a double-edged what? Sword. It can separate Listen, if the word of God hasn't separated anything in your life, you ain't doing it right. Isaiah says, my word goes forth and it will never return to me, what, you know? Void. See, the word of God works. And I mean that as a double meaning. It works, so follow it. But it works in you. So what Jesus is saying is, let my word work in you. And here's what we need to understand and what they didn't understand. They didn't understand the depth of their slavery. So therefore, they didn't understand the gloriousness of their salvation. They thought that salvation was just either something that happened in the past or something's gonna happen in the future. They didn't understand it was multifaceted. In fact, I want you to understand that so I have another point on the screen. I didn't come up with this phrase. I don't know who did, but it's awesome. I'll give him credit if I knew. But let me help you understand the salvation. We have been saved, past tense, from the penalty of sin. That's the biblical word of justification. You've been made right before God. You are now in relationship. He is your father. You are his child. Second part, we are being saved from the power of sin. So I told you a few weeks ago, grace is not permission 
to keep sinning. Grace is power. That's what Titus says, the power of God to say no, to do right. So if you keep struggling with sin, then there's a lack of the power of God in your life, which means there's probably a lack of the presence of his word in your life. You're not walking in the word. So we are being saved from the power of it. And then watch this. One day we will be saved from the presence of it. Sin will be no more. The book of Revelation says. Not no more just in your life. No more. It'll be locked away. In hell forever, as I told you last week, hell wasn't made for humans, it was made for the devil and all his lies. So we need to understand, again, we don't understand the severity of the slavery, we'll never understand the fullness of the freedom. What is the fullness of the freedom? He has saved you, he is saving you, that's called sanctification. First one's justification, he will save you, that's called glorification. So watch this. If we would take him at his word, to make us right with God, why would we not take his word for him to make us right in our walk? The power of sin can be defeated in our lives as we grow in obedience to Jesus. It won't be fully gone until you're fully saved from the very presence of it. But the power of sin in our lives now can be overcome if we abide in his word. We'll know the truth and it'll set us free. He goes on. He said, I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. I'll come back to that in a second. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. You ever wonder why we say love Jesus, grow people, not love God? Because if you say love God, what God are we talking about? You say love Jesus, we know. So here's what, if you don't love Jesus, you don't love God. It's that simple. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Listen to this. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You can't bear to hear it. Why? Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Watch this. I referenced this a few weeks ago if you were here when I was talking about how all teaching is tied to someone. At the end of the day, there's only two fathers. Two fathers. The father of truth, which is God, 
the father of Jesus, because Jesus is the truth, and there's the father of lies. So watch this. There's only two fathers, and therefore there's only two houses. The house of truth, the house of lies. There's only two ways to walk. Jesus connects walking by hearing the words of your father. There's only two ways to walk, and those two ways to walk are based on two different words. True words and words that are lies. This is why I said last week, every decision leads to a direction that ends in some destination. So every decision matters. This is when you're like, well, pastor, hold up. Are you saying that if I'm in Christ and I make a sinful decision, I'll land in hell? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is if you're walking with Jesus, you can't keep making those sinful decisions without confessing and repenting because the word of God has a home in you. It's working in you. Listen, I still struggle with sin because this is not, as I said earlier, it's not just a Jason problem, it's a human problem. Let me go a step further. Jesus was talking to the Jewish people here and unfortunately there's been people, even scholars in some of the quote unquote theological schools today, which they don't even believe Jesus is the only way so they're not even really accurate, but have said Jesus is being anti-Semitic here that Jesus is anti-Jew. Well, that's kind of funny because Jesus is Jewish. Jesus, watch this, Jesus isn't saying this is uniquely a Jewish problem. As if somehow he hates Jewish people because all of his first followers were Jewish. No, Jesus isn't saying this is a Jewish problem. And again, if you're Jewish by ethnicity, I want you to hear me say this. We don't hate Jewish people and we shouldn't. We shouldn't think that uniquely they are somehow the problem in the world. And there's a lot of people that talk like that. This is not a Jewish problem in the sense that this is just as much a Gentile problem as it is a Jewish problem because it's a human problem. It's a human problem where we listen to words that develop walks that lead us to houses who's behind them as a father. You see the progression here. Words, walk, destination, father. So what Jesus is saying to them is, Abraham's not your father. Because if he, watch this, if he was, you would do what he did. You would do what he did. Notice he didn't say you'd believe what he believed, which is interesting because Abraham is called the father of faith. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul makes this whole argument in Galatians. And so therefore he says the real sons of Abraham are not the one who are sons and daughters through lineage from a genetic standpoint, but from a faith standpoint, because he's the father of faith. But notice he doesn't say, believe what he believed. He says, you do what he did. Why? Because the book of James says, 
Genuine faith shows up in works. We are not saved by faith plus works. You need to understand that. That's still the official Roman Catholic position today, and it's wrong. I'm not hating on Roman Catholics. I'm just saying they got the faith part right, but they didn't understand that it's faith that leads to works, not faith plus works. You're saved by a sincere faith, and that's what Jesus is talking about to these people. I want you to understand a sincere faith is one, watch this, that shows up in how you walk. You say, well, how do I know I believe the words? How are you walking? Let me say it to you like this. God, the Father's house is over here. The devil's house, the father of lies, is over here. Which direction are you heading? It's that simple. It's that simple. See, it's one thing to be facing that direction but, and occasionally go this way. You know, I mean, even a broke clock is dead, is right twice a day. So there are people who are headed this direction that might get some things right. But that's a completely different person who's headed this direction who might occasionally get some things wrong. So the question simply is, not just am I a sinner and do I need to be saved? Yes, you are and yes, you do. But what direction ultimately is my walk headed? See, the walk with Jesus is, you know, I take one step forward and then sometimes four steps back, but I'm still facing this way. Why? Because I never turned around, never turned my back on him. I just confessed. God, that was sinful. I repented. I got connected back into the community called the church. And I said, would you guys help me? Because I'm really wrestling with my slavery. I'm really struck. This bothers me. See, I'm not upset about people who sin. I'm just upset about people who aren't bothered by it. It's different. So Jesus at the end of the day is saying, listen, there's two words, there's two ways, there's two houses, two fathers. That's it. That's it. God the Father and the devil as father. And I don't know about you, but it's interesting to me to think about and to understand how literally in life, one of the things that messes people up the most is their father. Way more people talk about their father wounds than they do their mother wounds. And I'm not hating on fathers. I is one. I just would like to submit this to you. Why do you think the devil works so hard to destroy fathers? Because that is the primary metaphor that God uses to describe himself. So if the devil can destroy your view of fathers, then he'll get you off of believing that God is a good father. All the while, you not knowing that you were just deceived by another father. 
So fathering is huge, hugely important. Not saying more important than mothering. I'm just saying most people lack what they don't get. And that's why we'll talk more about this in our series in December. That's why I, as a father and pastor, because I talk a lot about how pastoring and parenting is so similar. I wanna do everything I can as a father to my son and my daughter to help them know, listen, I'm a broken image of a greater father, but I want you to know him. I'm gonna do everything I can to let you know that if he loves you more than me, how great is that? There's only two fathers, two houses, two walks, two words. So here's what I'm saying to you. Look at how you're walking and whose words you're listening to before it's too late to change your eternal address. Last few verses. Verse 45, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now I'll close with this. If you listen to our Grow People podcast, which you should, it's a chance for us to have deeper conversations off of the weekend. We just did an episode a few weeks ago that was kind of a follow-up of a message I did about how all teaching is tied to someone. And if you were here in that message, I talked about how that word of, in the Greek, it's what's called a possessive. And what that means is, it means you're, you're of something. Like, it's, it's a reference. It's like, that's your team, that's your tribe, that's your people. You're of them. But I made the point there, and I'm gonna make it here because I didn't do it in the message that week. What's interesting to me, when we see in the Bible, Jesus casting out demons, the Bible calls those people as demon-possessed. Demon-possessed. And Jesus casts them out, and then they're gone. They're no longer taking up resident in the person. And so the idea of Jesus talking about here, you're of God or you're not of God, is the same word, possession. And there's a lot of Christians who wrongly think, I used to wrongly think, that because I was of God now, I'm in Christ, that I can't be possessed. Now, let me make some distinctions here. What I mean is, yes, the Spirit of God takes residence in me now, and I have the power by the authority of the Spirit of God to cast out any other demons. But we typically, and this is where I was wrong, we typically think of demon possession as people who are like frothing out the mouth and like climbing up walls, and you're like, you know, you gotta do an exorcism here. We've seen those shows. I told you last week, I ain't into them shows. Because that, that stuff's real. But, but here's where we can be wrong. We can, we can say, oh, I, I have the spirit of God. I can't be possessed by a demon. Yeah, but you can be possessed by his words. And his words 
are lies. And you can believe those words. And, and, and again, I don't know how all this works. I'm just saying, don't wrongly think that because you're of God, you can do whatever you want, want and it won't have spiritual consequences. Because you can be possessed by his words. Maybe not possessed by the spirits, but you can be possessed by his words. And those words will lead you to walk in different ways. And so demonic possession, all I'm saying to you is this, is far more complicated than we think. So we should look at every area of our life and say, is God possessing this area? Or is the devil? Am I of God in this area? Or is the devil? Am I of God in this area? And this area? And this area? Remember the analogy I used earlier? God's gonna come in and he's gonna clean up the house. See, you and I didn't realize that when we trusted Jesus, it wasn't just a get out of hell free card. He's like, I'm coming to clean up everything. And all I would say to all of us, myself included, is quit fighting. Quit fighting the one who gave his life for you so that you could be truly free in every area. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Jesus is the word. And he came and lived the word and walked in such a way to take back the keys to what he stole, what was stolen from him by the devil through lies and death. To build a new house, which is us. And so God, thank you that you are a good father. And even when we walk away from you, you walk after us. Jesus said, you leave the 99 to come after us. God, I pray against the spirit of lies that exists in these rooms and on these screens from people who thought, well, if God's anything like my father, I want nothing to do with him. God, help us to see and break the power of the spirit of lies that you are a good father. Even the best of fathers, you're better than. But the worst of fathers do not reflect you. They reflect a different father. And so God, I pray for people today who don't know you as father because they haven't seen the sacrifice of the son for them. And they're not free. They haven't been saved yet. The penalty of sin in their life hasn't been paid. So I pray right now, God, you would save them. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If you want to trust Jesus today and be saved and set free from the penalty of sin, then you can confess. You can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud. But it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son Jesus in my place for my sin. You punished him. And he beat death and he rose again. And I believe today that if I am in him, of him, you will save me. So I confess my sin. And I ask you to forgive me. 
Become my father. Fill me with your spirit. Now, if that was you, again, if you're one of our locations, nobody looking around or talking, if you just prayed that, would you just simply lift up your hand so we can see you? Thank you. We got men and women gonna walk around, just put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. Thank you. In just a moment, whether you're in person or online, you can fill out our digital connection card, let us know who you are. But then those of us who, like myself, you have been saved from the penalty of sin. You don't need to get saved again, you just need to understand the severity of the slavery and therefore seek the fullness of the freedom and allow the power of sin to be broken in your life through the power of the Spirit. So you don't need to go back in the sense of get the whole process started over again. If you've trusted Jesus, you just need to keep trusting Jesus. Now you still need to confess and say, Father, this is wrong. I wanna bring this area of my life under your control, under your authority. I don't wanna be possessed by the words of the devil anymore in my marriage, in my money, in my workplace, whatever it is and my emotions and my feelings. Help me to bring this in line with your truth and in so doing, would you set me free? And God will answer those prayers because he wants freedom for us more than we want it for ourselves. Father, would you bring about the fullness of this freedom? Would you help us understand the depth of our salvation? that you are still saving us from the power of sin. So would we trust you? God, it's a struggle to trust you at your word, that your way is better. Because the world, our flesh, the devil, screams at us words to try to get us to live a different way. But help us to be reminded that he is not our father and we don't owe him anything. We don't owe the flesh anything. We don't owe the world anything, but we owe you everything. So by your power, would you bring our lives in line with your word through your spirit? We look forward one day to that fullness of salvation when the presence of sin is gone. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church.